Don't you like that song? Y'all did a good job. Thank you. I requested that song because it goes with my text today. And Jack told me, he said, I can give you the Earl Scruggs version of it. I said, all right. (laughs) So that was Earl Scruggs right there. And Jack Moore. Uh, Speaking of that song, I was sitting in a restaurant one day. And I ordered unsweet tea. And I thought, you know, my doctor would be proud that I'm drinking unsweet tea, but I just can't do it completely unsweet. So I pulled that little white thing out, you know, that's on every table that's filled with all those different colored cancer-causing artificial sweeteners. (laughs) And I thought, now which one do I use here? Do I use Splenda? Do I use... uh, uh, Yeah, all all of those. What's the yellow pack? Well, that's the pink pack. Splenda, yeah, there's a, and there's a blue pack. There's all kind of different plat packs. But I was sitting there looking at them and thinking, now, which one of these should I use? And, well, that song came to my mind. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, so I took sweet and low. <laughs> all right. Let's move to something more edifying. What do you say? First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 is where we are. Hey, Jerry Newman nailed this this morning. I wanted to read this. Yeah, I, I meant to tell, talk to Jerry about that difficult name right there, but he nailed it. I bet you have. <laughs> so Jerry's memorable, tweetable quote is Sosthenes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I wanted that read because... Um, Man, it it really does go with the text that I want to focus in on, but I knew I couldn't encompass it all unless we wanted to be here till about 1.30 or 2. So I'm going to forego that, those first few verses. I just pull away from it. It's all I can do to resist it, but I am. I wish we had a grace group where I could unpack that because there's so much in there. Uh, For instance, this word call. If you'll just trace that word in all forms of the word called, called or calling through these first nine verses, you'll see that there's a theme that emerges in these verses around the calling of God and calling us to be part of the body of Christ. But let's, uh, uh, let's again forego that and get right into verse number 4 where Paul talks to this church down in Corinth. Here's what he says in verse number 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, the Corinthian church was a church that was filled with problems. Man, um, when you look at the church at Corinth and you read this letter, you wonder, my goodness, what a bunch of knuckleheads they were. But then when you look in the mirror, you think, what a bunch of knuckleheads we are. So it's hard to, you know, shoot at them without 
at the same time hitting our own selves. If it had not been for these first few verses in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 where Paul really affirms them in strong theological terms about their membership in the body of Christ, their inclusion in the family of God. As you get into the letter, you would wonder if they really even know Jesus Christ or not because of the way they were acting and the way they were carrying on. But verses 4 through 9 is really a testimony to their true identity and it has to hold us to, uh, uh, to the rock bottom truth of who they are as we move through the rest of this book. So I want to speak to you today for the time we have on this subject, a simple solution to some serious problems. Because man, there were serious problems in the church down at Corinth. I mean, right off the bat, Paul's going to begin to talk about cliques and divisions and groups within the church. He's going to move to that, uh, move from that to talk about some more things like rampant and and just horrible sexual immorality. Uh, he's going to talk about heresies which they have believed. He's going to talk about lawsuits. I mean, there were people in the church actually suing one another in courts of law in front of pagan judges. He's going to talk about some bad theology that they have. They were just filled with problems. So here in these first few verses, Paul kind of lays out a simple solution to some serious problems which existed in this church. And by the way, do we have any problems? Man, we don't have it all together by any stretch of the imagination. You've heard Dr. John say, if you're worshiping with us today for the first time and you've got it all together, you may want to leave because we will mess you up. Because we do not have it all together. We, we, have, uh, we have our own problems and we have our own demons we fight. But nonetheless, we have hope because this book of Corinthians will help us straighten them out. So Paul gives them this simple solution to some serious problems. And you know, doesn't that get on your nerves sometimes? I mean, have you ever had a serious problem? I mean, that problem was complex. It had tentacles going in every different direction. And you have lunch with somebody and you tell them why you're perplexed and why you're stressed and about the problem you have. And they rattle off some solution that's so simple until it makes you want to slap them. Because you want to say, dude, if that's the solution, you really don't understand the problem. Let me rehash it one more time so you can just get a grasp of how difficult this problem is. Well, this is a simple solution that Paul gives to some serious problems. But let me quickly add, it's not just a simple solution. It is a supernatural solution. And here's the, problem, or here's the solution which Paul lays out for their problem. You may want to write it in big letters. It's grace. The grace of God. And you see, we really, when we think about grace, we don't think about it in the full aspects of its theological and biblical significance. When we think of grace, here's what we normally think. We normally think that grace just gives us a free pass. Right? I mean, sin, God has grace for that. So it's a free pass. But grace is so much more than that in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of definitions that you'll hear for grace, but grace is really, it's the, it's the activity of God which grounds the entire salvation process in human beings. That's what it is. God takes care of everything 
in His grace from your justification to your sanctification, your growth, and that is your ultimate glorification out in the future in eternity. Grace is the ground of all of that. So let's look at this passage and see what Paul says as he lays out grace as the simple but yet supernatural problem or supernatural solution to a bunch of serious problems that exist within the church at Corinth and might I add, which also exists in the church at Bonifay. By the way, our name is Grace, huh? So here we go. Let's apply our namesake to some of our problems. Why is grace such a simple supernatural solution to some serious problems? Number one, I think Paul tells us that grace initiates with God. We've got to understand grace is the sole possession of God Almighty. He is the proprietor. He's the one that has it all. God has a monopoly on grace. If we demonstrate grace, it's because God has given us grace to demonstrate. So, notice what it is that this passage says about grace. It says that it initiates with God. Notice what Paul says in verse 4. I thank my God always concerning the grace of God, here we go, which was given you. You see that? Grace is not something you work up. It's not something you bring to the table. Grace is something that God gives you because it initiates completely with God. Now check this out. I want you to go with me through this passage and look at the verbs that Paul uses. Most all of the verbs in this passage are passive. They're in the passive voice. Now you know what that means. Let me take you back to fifth grade grammar. If a verb is in the active voice, it means the subject is the one who is doing the action. I kicked the ball. I pulled Colin's hair. I preached a message. That's the active voice. But the passive means that that the subject has had this action perpetrated upon them by someone else. Colin's hair was pulled by the preacher. You see the difference? Now check out all of these verbs. These verbs are passive. And do you know the theological significance of that? Since these verbs are passive, it indicates that grace is not yours. It's not something that you work up. It's not something that you do. It's something that was given you by God. Grace initiates with God. So what problem does that solve for us right out of the chute? Well, it solves our pride problem. It solves our pride problem. Because there is nothing that you did that got you included into the family of God. Let me restate that. There's nothing that you did that issued into your salvation. You cannot save yourself. You added nothing to the salvation process. The only thing you brought to the table if you are saved is your sin. You didn't bring anything else. And God's grace which was given you because it initiates with God is the reason that you were saved. For it is by grace, through faith, that you are saved. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any should what? Boast. What does boast mean? It means to be prideful. It means to be puffed up. So what problem does grace solve right off the bat? It solves our pride problem. And can I say to you, most problems that we have within our personality 
And most spiritual problems that we have, you know what they're directly linked to? Somebody say it. Pride. You got it. It's stinking pride. Is there any wonder the Bible says that God hates pride? Because it is the very root of most everything that plagues us today. So God solves the pride problem right off the bat by letting our salvation be completely grounded in grace that He gives. Oh, listen, when, you're get, when you get to heaven, you are not going to stand before the throne one day and bow out your chest and put your thumbs under your lapels if we have lapels in heaven, right? And say, thank God I was smart enough to make a good decision to choose Jesus Christ. Son, are you right? That's heresy. And can I say to you, that's what is preached today in the modern gospel in the United States of America. That it's what you do. And I'm here to tell you, it's not what you do. Your salvation is grounded in what He did. The ultimate expression of God's grace on Calvary's cross. We're not going to stand in heaven one day and say, Thank God I was smart enough to make a good decision. Thank God I did this or I did that. No, in heaven we're going to fall down on our face before Him and say, Thank God for the immeasurable, transforming, soul-saving grace that God poured out on me freely without cost. Son, that's the only way. It's the only way any of us have hope. It's the only way any of us got there is because of God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sin. Check this out. Grace initiates with God, so confirms verses 3, of, 3 and 4. So grace initiates with God, it solves our pride problem, but grace enriches us. Check out verse number 5. That in everything you were, what's the word in the New American Standard? Enriched. And here's what it means. The heart of that word means that you were absolutely bankrupt. You went from being bankrupt one moment to being filthy rich the next. He's enriched you. Hey, God's grace doesn't just come in thimblefuls. God's grace comes in oceanfuls. You see, that's what John said in his prologue, talking about Jesus Christ, in whom we have received, listen, grace upon grace. And the picture that he gives there is as the waves washing up on a sandy shore. They just keep rolling in and keep rolling in and keep rolling in. And every time grace comes, it enriches you more and more and more. So he says that grace enriches us. Now, what problem does that solve? Well, look, notice what the Scripture says. He says, In everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Two things here. Let me take the latter first. The first problem that grace solves when it enriches us is our ignorance problem. Look what he said. <laughs> he said, You were enriched in what? In, in knowledge. In knowledge. Now, how does He enrich us in knowledge? He enriches us in knowledge because He has given us what Paul describes as, listen to this, the Word of His grace. Do you see it? Man, isn't it amazing how consistent the Bible is with this testimony? 
We were enriched in knowledge. Well, how are you going to have knowledge? You've got to have a subject from, or a fountain or a source from which you get knowledge. And here it is. It's the word of His grace. So God has enriched you in knowledge. Now here's the dealio. If we're not enriched in knowledge, you know why? It's because we're neglecting, the, we're neglecting the source of it. And here's the source of it right here. It's the word of His grace. Now notice what else he says. What else does it solve? It solves our, number one, our ignorance problem. But number two, it solves our expression problem. Notice what he says in that verse. He says, you were enriched in all speech and knowledge. So it's, what is speech? It's how we express our thoughts. It's how we express what's in our heart. Now, here's the deal. If knowledge, the Word of God's grace is in our heart, we will also have along with that the ability to express that. Someone once told me, you don't really know anything until you can clearly express it. And I think there's truth in that. And notice again how Paul puts these two together. Man, there's a hundred ways to go with this. He said, you've been enriched in all speech and knowledge. You know what that means? Practically write this down. It means you know what you're talking about. You know what you're talking about. Now, we know the opposite of that. Everybody knows somebody that don't know what they're talking about, huh? But as it comes to us by grace being enriched in knowledge and speech, we of all people ought to know what it is that we're talking about. And we can express that. So we express grace with our, with our speech. Paul talks about letting our speech be seasoned as it were with the salt of grace. You know anybody that has a speech problem? That every other word's profanity? Their, their, their vocabulary is very limited, isn't it? Because they can't express themselves without using profanity. That's kind of the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. Grace enriches us in all speech and in all knowledge. Not only do we have the knowledge, but son, we've got the vocabulary to be able to express the knowledge which God has given us in the word of His grace. So check this out. I've got to hurry because you can see I've got a page full. Grace initiates with God. Great grace enriches us. And number three, grace establishes us. It establishes us. Now check out verse number six. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Underline the word confirmed. Hey, can I point out something else for you throughout this passage? I've already asked you to go through it and underline all these passive verbs. For instance, was given, were enriched, was confirmed. Do you see the, the pattern here? They're passive verbs. But also go through this passage and underline every time you see the word you. Was given you, verse number 4. That in everything you were enriched. Even as a testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Now here's the problem with English. English is probably the least capable language of expressing the meaning of God's Word. Did you know that? As English speakers, we're at a disadvantage. Because, for instance, English has no way of distinguishing a plural you, you, and a singular you, you. They're both spelled the same. They're both pronounced the same. Most every other language, that's different. In our second language, Portuguese, you know if somebody's talking about an individual you or a collective you, the entire group. 
In the original language of the New Testament, in Greek, it's very distinguishable. Is it a plural you or is it a singular you? So I had a Greek professor that, in seminary that allowed us to southernize the Greek New Testament. So every time there was a plural you, he said, y'all translate it, y'all. Y'all. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, uh, uh, the grace of God, verse number 4, which was given y'all. See that? And then in verse number 5, that in everything y'all were enriched in Him. Now you know what that does? That kind of puts a different slant on things, does it not? Because the focus of Paul here is not an individual, but the focus is the body, that is the church at Corinth. And when he says that y'all were enriched in all speech and knowledge, here's what he's saying. He's saying God's grace has provided His church with everything that church needs in order to be a healthy, self-propagating church. Everything is included. Now let's just apply that right here for a little while, can we? Y'all, if we indeed have been called into this fellowship by God, if this fellowship exists because of the will of God and the grace of God, then we don't have a need that God hasn't met supernaturally by His grace right here in this body before me today. We don't have a need. We don't have a need that can't be met in-house. Son, we don't have to go outside and hire a, a hired gun to come in and fill a need that we have inside. If we have a need, God has enriched you, y'all, in speech and knowledge. He's supplied everything. Are you with me? Now let me apply this for a little while. Y'all know a couple weeks ago we sent... Evan off to seminary because we're a sending church. We like to do that every now and then. We send folk all over the place. We send him off to seminary. That means we are trying to put our worship team together. Have you noticed that? And we're looking for folk because we have a need, do we not? Now let me tell you what this scripture tells me. This scripture tells me that God has enriched us and we've got everything we need right here in this house. And the only way that need won't be met if it's somebody who has the knowledge by the grace of God and the ability to fill that need doesn't by faith step up and say, Ace me, I I am here, Lord, use me. Huh? Now look, we have that a lot. I mean, we do. We'll have needs. We'll have needs over there in Grace Kids. We'll have needs here with uh, worship team. We'll have needs with grace group leaders. We'll have needs with connect teams. And we look and look and look for somebody and can't find anybody. When God's Word tells me that God has supernaturally provided for every need right here in this house. But you know what the default mode is for most of us? Oh, let's hire somebody to do that. Now how can we expect God to bless that when His Word says the contrary? says that we ought to have every need met right here within this group. So let me ask you a question. What need can you meet? Because God, by His grace, has given you the knowledge. See what I'm saying? I mean, God has not given me the knowledge to play the piano. But there are some folk in this place who have it. Huh? And you haven't said anything to anybody about it. You think God's pleased with that or not? Hey, if you were at Grace Church, if you're a part of Grace Church, you know why you're here? To meet a need. 
because God's enriched us. And there's not a need that we should have that we ought to have to fret and, 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 and go through the church role in our minds as leaders to try to figure out who will do it. Not who can do it, but who will do it. Check me out. I'm preaching here now, you see. Lotus number next. Grace establishes us back in verse number 6. Even as, you, as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Here's what that word confirm means. It means made strong. It means to make sure. You know, when you have confirmation of something, I mean, we use it today. If, I, if, if, if I'm going to stay over in that Holiday Inn next Friday night, and I call up there and make reservations, guess what I'm going to ask them to give me? Confirmation. You know why? Because chances are, Heather will tell you, I will show up after done having paid for room, and I'm going to get there and say, Sir, we don't have you in the system. And I'm going to say, Wait a minute. I've got your confirmation number right here. That's the only way I can survive in this world, is to have confirmation, because I'm just that guy that the systems don't like. I get kicked out all the time. Confirmation means to make sure. So here's what it does when you put speech with that, the expression, knowledge, expression, and confirmation. Here's how God confirms the church. It's through the proclamation of the testimony, the witness of Jesus Christ, which we have in the Word of God's grace, but for it to be effective, not only is it expressed, but it's confirmed in our hearts. You see, here's how it takes place. How many times have you been reading God's Word or listening to someone teach God's Word or been sitting in a worship service and all of a sudden, boom, it's like a light comes on. And in your heart you say, man, that's what it means. And when that takes place, it just does something, does it not? In your, in your soul it does something to strengthen you and to confirm you. Because it's like God's Word has now become personal. It was written from eternity past just for me today in Bonifay, Florida. That does something for a person, does it not? And that's what has to take place. Seeing the communication of the testimony of Christ, there's speech, which he's done talked about, but there's also confirmation. And I've had this question posed to me on numerous occasions. Pastor Richie, how can someone sit under the preaching of God's Word and not be moved? And there's your answer right there. Because you're hearing the speech, but it's not confirmed in your heart. And when God, by His grace, confirms in your heart the truth of the testimony concerning Jesus Christ as given us in the word of His grace, Son, it establishes you. It makes you firm. You know, folk want to have theological arguments about how I know God's word is God's word. Let me tell you how I know God's word is God's word. Because He confirms it in my heart. He confirms it. And it establishes me. It makes me strong. Every time he confirms it in my heart, it's like, my gosh, I've just had fellowship with eternity. And eternity has come in time to me. And that strengthens me. Check it out. What does that do? Well, that solves our drifting problem. You know what problem it solves when God confirms the testimony of Jesus Christ in your heart supernaturally by His grace? Let me tell you what it does. It, it anchors you down to God's Word. And then, then you don't find yourself off just wandering in the land of Nod somewhere. You know why it is why people drift? Why so-called believers drift away from God? 
and off of living according to the authority of His Word because this hasn't happened in their heart. God's Word for them is just words on a page. It's never been moved from the page to confirmation in your heart. Because when that happens, son, it anchors you to the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Check out number next. i got to run. Not only does grace initiate with God, grace enriches us, grace establishes us, but grace, verse, according to verse 7, equips us. Check it out. Verse number 7. So that you, so that y'all, so that y'all are not lacking in any gift. You say, here we go again. Let me get back on my stump. What are we lacking in in order to be an effective, efficient, self-propagating church? What are we lacking? If we're a mature church being composed by God, then we're lacking nothing. We can take care of everything we need. God will send us folk to run audiovisual. God will send us folk to help us get our online uh, publications up to where they're supposed to be. Everything ought to run at a very high level. Why? Because God has gifted people to do that. And have you ever noticed people who are gifted don't just do stuff mediocre? They don't do things that are adequate. They do things that are over the top. I've got a pastor friend that said not long ago, he said, listen, if you tell me you've got a gift, I expect some pretty high performance out of you. He said, for example, if you tell me that God's gifted you to ride bucking bulls, he said, I expect you not just to ride that bull for eight seconds. I expect you to ride that bull until he gets so tired of bucking until he has to lay down and take a nap. And isn't that the truth? I mean, we're talking about a supernatural gift of the Spirit, and we've talked about some of those motivational gifts right here in Romans chapter 7. If you missed, or Romans chapter 12, if you missed that, it's online. Our highly efficient, efficient audiovisual uh, department has got those posted. <laughs> here we go. You know what that does? Grace equips us. That solves our inability problem. Grace Church ought to never say we can't. Because God has supernaturally provided gifts of the Spirit within this body that give us the ability to do abundantly above what we ask or think. God's grace. Man, isn't it wonderful? Feasting on the riches of His grace. Resting neath the sheltering wing. Oh man, isn't that a good song? Check it out. Not only does grace equip us as I'm moving right along, but the Bible says that grace also excites us. Look at the second half of verse number 7. Second half of verse number 7 says, As you sit bored to tears, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> I think that's how some folk interpret that. Huh? I mean, why is it that we just think everything spiritual is boring? Let me tell you who thinks that. Are you with me? Lost people. Because the things of God go right over their head. They miss them. You know why? Because the natural man, Paul's going to tell us in this book, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he because they are spiritually discerned. And God hasn't enriched you in knowledge. So we're talking about a whole sphere of knowledge which you have none of. It would be like today if I sat down and tried to talk with somebody about neurology. Huh? 
I mean, yeah, I'll sleep through that seminar, Sonny. Because they'll be using words I don't even know what the words mean. So I might as well catch up on my sleep in that. And that's why so many people come to church and want to sit on the back row so their snoring doesn't wake up anybody. Because they can't understand anything. And it's like, here's what they hear. Here's what they hear when God's Word is preached, when spiritual realities are described. Here's what they hear. They hear Charlie Brown's teacher. So how long do you have to listen to Charlie Brown's teacher before you're honking, uh, uh, before you're snoring? <laughs> yeah. Huh. My Portuguese, the, the word in Portuguese is honka. <laughs> so, so yeah, before <laughs> you're honking. <laughs> well, grace excites us. It excites us. We are eagerly awaiting the full revelation. We've got the partial here in the Word of God's grace. We're eagerly awaiting the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He's talking about that day when the eastern sky splits, and the skies rolled up, the trumpet sounds, and He appears, and we are like Him because we see Him as He is. Are you following me? This word eagerly awaiting means I'm sitting on the edge of my seat like this. Just waiting for what's going to happen. My goodness. You know what grace solves here? Solves our attention problem. Our attention problem. Here's basically what Paul's saying that grace does. Grace rivets you to spiritual realities. Rivets you. And you know it's easy to tell. Man, I, I can tell when I'm preaching who has been enriched by grace because... Now look, let me... Let, let, let me oh my goodness. I've got... And I'm going to admit, there's some preaching that's boring. Can anybody testify to that? Anybody ever sat through a boring message? I had a preaching professor that said this one time. He said, men, people don't mind long sermons. People mind long, boring sermons. And he's right. I, I, I understand that. But son, if somebody's shelling the word of God's grace, it ought to be exciting. You ought to feel like you're going to get up any minute and take a laugh around this room because God's word was confirmed in you, huh? When God confirms his word, somebody, take, somebody want to take a lap? Is that what it was? <laughs> Meyer wants to take a lap? Meyer talked about that. How about that? <laughs> See, that's what God's word does to people who've been energized by the grace of God. When, God's, when the testimony of Jesus is spoken and God confirms it in your heart, makes it personal for you, man, you feel like you can run through a brick wall naked, huh? I mean, you just do. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Look here. If, 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 if the grace of God's Word doesn't keep you awake, wondering what I'm going to say next will, huh? Grace excites us, excites the church, <laughs> solves our attention problem. But notice verse 8, what else does grace do? Grace exalts Him. Look at here, here's the same word as verse 6 found in verse 8. Eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know why grace exalts Him? Because one day, when we're gathered before the throne with that great throng of people that He has gathered from every tribe, every nation, every people on this planet, you know why He's going to be exalted? Because every one of them is there because of Him. They're going to be there because of what He did on Calvary's cross. They're going to be there because of the expression of God's grace in calling you to Himself. You're going to be there because of the expression of God's grace and, 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 and pouring out upon you grace after grace and helping you live a sanctified life. Not that that keeps you saved, but that's just what He does. Listen, grace not only justifies, it transforms, does it not? It changes us. And everybody that's there is going to be there only because of Him. You see, grace exalts Him. That's what it's about. It doesn't exalt... You, you, you get the feeling that there's some folk that think they're saved because they're just so dang good. Huh? I mean, I'm reminded of Kanye West, what he said when he was preaching at Joel Osteen's church. Here's what he said. He said, God sure is lucky to have somebody like me speaking for him. Dear God in heaven, there ain't no grace in that statement, son. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of pride in that, and we know what God says about pride. Grace exalts Him. So you know what it does? It solves our purpose problem. Because you know what the purpose of your salvation is? Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1 about three times, that you should be to the praise of His glory. What He does in my life doesn't boast me up, doesn't put me on a platform, it puts Him on a, on a, on a pedestal. Because grace exalts Him, doesn't it, Jamie? I mean, is there anything else you can attribute your life to? Not one thing. When folk ask you, what happened to me? What happened to you, Jamie Baker? There's only one answer. Jesus Christ happened to me. And it's His grace. Check it out, and I'm done. Grace is a simple solution to some serious problems. Grace exalts Him, therefore it solves our purpose problem. And then in verse number 9, notice what Paul says. God is faithful. Man, isn't that a cool verse? God is faithful. Through whom y'all were, there it is passive, were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God's going to hold you. And how long is God going to hold you? God's going to hold you till you blow it. You cross that line out there which nobody can describe and you're going to lose your salvation. Is that what it says? No. It says God has got you. He's got you. It's by grace that God has got you. You can't live good enough. You can't work up enough spirituality. There's nothing that you can do. It's by God's transforming grace. He gives us a new identity. He pours out upon us continuing grace to live this life. He is the one, and He guarantees that we are going to be there. God is faithful. Do you see that? God is faithful. Listen, if God saved you, justified you, if you're not standing before Him one day in glory because of whatever happened in your life, then we better take this out of the Bible because God is not faithful. But I'm telling you, this Word tells me that God is faithful. That means you can't lose it. I mean, even Southern Baptists start to recognize that. You know that old doctrine that folks shoot us, up, shoot at us about? 
Once saved, always saved. We've modified that. If saved, always saved. Because a lot of these people that we look at that fall out, that come to church with big alligator tears and, 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 and mule snot coming out their nose, you know what I'm saying? Looking like they're repenting. You think they're going to set the woods on fire and give them six months and you can't find them anywhere? And they've done turned their back on the Lord? They didn't lose salvation. Son, listen to me. They never had it. And here's what John tells us in 1 John. They went out from among us because they were once part of us, but they lost it? No, what does he say? They were never one of us. Let me tell you. If you've been born again, you're going to get to the end. You're going to get there. You're going to be standing there one day when Jesus Christ is exalted before a great throne that He's gathered to Himself throughout all the ages. You're going to be there. Why? Because by His grace, He did it. And friends, what He does, it lasts, doesn't it? The Bible says He gives us eternal life. He doesn't give us temporary life that lasts just long as, uh, until you sin grievously and lose it. That's not, that's, not, that's not the definition of eternal. It's the definition of temporary. He gives eternal life. Look here. God is faithful through whom you were called. Passive again. You know why folks say they can lose their salvation? Because they miss these passive verbs. Listen, if I did something to earn my salvation, then it naturally follows that I can do something to get out of it. But by golly, I didn't do anything. This was done on my behalf. This was done for me. By God. Listen, the verbs are passive. I didn't do anything. They're not active verbs. And since it was done by one who is faithful, brothers and sisters, it's money in the bank. Because this old redneck boy is going to make it not only through this life, but he's going to make it all the way through eternity. Because God is faithful. Now what problem does that solve? Well, that solves our doubting problem, does it not? Your salvation, get, get this, isn't dependent upon your faithfulness. Hey, anybody say amen? If it's dependent upon my faithfulness, and I lost it about 100 times this week. Huh? But it's dependent upon His faithfulness. God is faithful faithful. Listen to me, if God confirmed the testimony of Jesus Christ in your heart one day, and when He did that, your natural response was to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, God enriched you with grace, God's continuing to pour grace out upon your life, hear me, that's undoable. It's un-undoable, I should say, because you're saved. And you'll always be saved. And you're going to stand before Him one day in glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> Not just so we can fill our spiritual lungs with the rarefied air of heaven, but we're going to stand there so that He can be exalted because of what He did in us. Hey, God's, problem, God's, God's solution to serious problems is God's grace. You know, there's only, only one thing the Bible talks about that's kind of a repellent to God's grace. <laughs> you know what I mean by repellent? 
Here's what repels God's grace. Pride. James says in James chapter 1, For God resists the proud. Did you hear that? But He gives more grace to the humble. Grace humbles us, and when grace humbles us, then God pours out more grace and more grace and more grace. Hey, so let me ask you, where are you today? Are you kind of filled with grace repellent? Get rid of it and watch what God does in your life. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simple, supernatural solution to our serious problems. We pray, God, we'd be good stewards of your grace because we're required to do that. Paul said, the grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain, but I labored more than all of the rest. So God, would you help us have that testimony, knowing that grace is not just a free pass. Grace is what enables us to be faithful servants of God. So I pray for those who are here today, God, you've spoken that you have confirmed a word in their heart. They know the need that, fe- that they are to feel in Grace Church. I pray, God, you give them the grace to step out today in the faith, to come and tell John Wilson or Colin Dollar or Cliff Myers. I pray, Lord, for those who are here today that have never been born again. And today, your grace has met them. I pray, God, that that grace will inspire faith within their lives and they will act upon it and do something about it. Pray, God, for those whom you're calling. This text talked about being called into a fellowship. And I, I pray for those whom you're calling into this fellowship. God, today may they do something about it. and Come and tell John, tell Colin, or tell Brother Cliff. Whatever it is you've said in our lives today, God, what you've confirmed in our hearts through the expression of the testimony of Jesus Christ, may we be faithful and may we respond in obedience. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John's up here on one side, Colin's over here on the other. Cliff will be right up here. If God's spoken to you today, and there's an act of obedience that you need to take. There's a step of faith you need to make. Whatever God said, in Jesus' name, be faithful and watch Him pour grace out on your life.